Bless God. Felt as I was preparing. I know some have heard this before in some form, but I just felt to share tonight, to begin with very briefly, I was born again when I was 38 years old. Now that wasn't last year, you understand. 38 years old, and up to that point, I had been a godless, Christ-rejecting man, man of sinful pursuits and habits, which I never make reference to. I was a professional man. I had a good job, but effectively I was living a double life. It's one thing on the outside, something else behind the scenes. Many years of that, and by the age of 38, those two lives and the tensions between them were tearing me apart. I never thought in terms of sin. I had no interest in the gospel, never went to a decent church. But it was sin. And the symptoms of my sin, I gather, really were very commonplace in a sense. Bouts of deep and dark depression. Other times, a turmoil, a disturbance in my heart I couldn't define. At times, even the over, almost overwhelming desire to cut loose and just run away. And uh, I lived alone. I woke one February morning. It was half term. I was a teacher. woke up facing the black wall of depression, stultifying fog of inertia. And something inside me said, I can't go on. I can't do this anymore. I can't live this way. And I see now the prevenient grace of God drawing me over many, many years. By that grace, I hoiked myself out of that bed, took the few steps to my bedroom window at the back of the house. And for the first time in my sinful, self-centered, Christ-rejecting life, I called on the name of the Lord. Never done that before, never thought to do that before. And I simply said, Lord, if you're there. That's where I was coming from, friends. Lord, if you're there, here's a man, I have no peace, I have no rest, I can't go on. I cried out to God in heaven. To be honest, friends, repentance, I never used the word, but in a sense, repentance was not difficult in the sense that I had come to hate what I was, I despised the man I was. What sin had done in me, I was kind of finding myself abhorrent and I called on the name of the Lord. In a blinding moment of time, the Jesus Christ which I had rejected 
cursed and blasphemed, rebelled against and sinned against, became a blessed and living and powerful reality in that room. The presence of God was there. I couldn't see him. I couldn't touch him. But I knew that Jesus Christ was alive and he touched my heart with a token of his sublime peace. I want to underline just here that I wasn't born again that morning. I wasn't born again that morning. But I knew that Jesus Christ was alive. And about a ten days after that time, he came to me again. Not time to testify of how that happened. But this time he showed me I was a captive. Captive of my sin, my sinful activities, my life and my lifestyle, my whole mindset. This time, and I fully admit and confess it's by the grace of God from start to finish, but this time, dear friends, I flung wide the doors of my heart. I opened the windows of my life to him and he flooded my soul friends the spirit of God came into this man I tell you friends it was like spring after long winter had no terminology no bible no vocabulary didn't know about being born again I almost physically felt the burden of 38 years of sin lifted from my heart washed in the precious atoning blood of Christ. Didn't know any of that terminology, but all I knew was this. God had come to live in reality as an experience in my heart. The Apostle Paul said how God had called him from his mother's womb, called him from his mother's womb to reveal his son in him, in him, friend that he might preach him to the heathen. I'm not calling you heathen tonight. But the precious surrender is the key to salvation. I walked from that place, dear friends, on air. Had to discover what had happened to me. Hadn't got a clue. Didn't know. Had no Bible, no vocabulary, no background, no witness, no nothing. I just knew that Jesus Christ had come to live in my heart. And glory to God, he's kept me for 32 years. Hallelujah. And I'm here to bless his lovely name. I want to encourage our hearts again tonight. It's been a good time of worship. And... Uh, Brother Ben said, is tonight's message a continuation of this morning? In a sense it is, but different. So let's turn to the scriptures, can we, in 1 Kings. 1 Kings. 1 Kings, the 18th chapter. Very familiar ground. We sang about fire falling. We're thinking of revival, revival prayer meeting tomorrow. 1 Kings chapter 18. My subject actually tonight is hope in the overlap. Hope in the overlap. 1 Kings chapter 18. And let's begin in the 21st verse. The 21st verse. It says, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye? 
between two opinions. If the law be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, am a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullock, lay it on wood and put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Before I pray, I just want to mention something which struck me so forcibly as I was preparing and reading that passage. The God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And somehow, amazingly, the Holy Ghost said to me, Son, whether God answers by fire or not, whether God turns the tide in these times or not, whether you see a measure of revival visit the people of God in this time or not, let him be God. Let God be God. Uh, do you know, friends, one of the fastest tracts to becoming involved in some modern form of Baal worship is to try to orchestrate and engineer things to give the impression that God is doing what we think God ought to do. But God simply said to my heart, maybe to someone's heart in this meeting, but to my heart, son, let God be God. And the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Father, would you bless the word of the Lord, the verses, the scriptures, the word itself. Would you bless the people gathered here in thy name. Would you bless even this frail messenger and bless the message that God has for us tonight. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I would hazard a guess, my dear friends, that probably the vast majority gathered here tonight at some point in Christian life have sung that chorus, these are the days of Elijah. And I'm reliably informed that that chorus can divide the ranks into two. Some folks love it, some folks hate it. That's not my point tonight. But in some senses which are very obvious, we are living in the days of Elijah we are surrounded by widespread apostasy. The false preachers and teachers and prophets of our time are on the increase. There's a whole welter of them. They're heaped up together. They're increasing in number. And the true man of God, the prophet of God, is a very, very rare bird indeed. Thank God there's one in this church tonight. I'm not talking about myself. You're a blessed people, friend. You're a blessed people. But there's something else in this 
passage and context which I want to catch with you tonight because when Elijah comes to the people in the first instance, his question to them is, how long halt ye between two opinions? How long uh, will you limp from one point of view to another? How long will you waver and hover and hesitate between two things, two opinions, two ways, two Jesuses, two Gospels, two moves of the Spirit? How long will you waver between these things? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. But the people answer him not a word. And uh, I want to say tonight, dear friends, I believe I'm not condemning. I'm not pointing fingers. It's just a fact of our time. I believe there are many precious folks in the professing Christian church and probably in the world around us who really have a genuine question. Who is the real Lord Jesus Christ? What is God doing in this time? What is the real move of the Holy Ghost? What is the blessed purpose of the church in this time? What's real in this time? Many are halting. Many are asking questions. Many are in confusion. What is God really doing? And uh, I believe in preaching and teaching and expounding and all these good things. We must do this. But it seems here's a people almost their incapacity to make a choice between the real thing and the wrong thing. And I believe there are folks in genuine uh, trouble uh, in our lands tonight, dear friends. They simply do not know who Jesus is. They can't tell the difference. They don't know what God is doing. What is the Holy Ghost really doing? And if the question is asked, if the Lord be God or Baal, they really don't know. And they're speechless. And it seems to me tonight, just quickened by the Holy Ghost uh, and in love to many perhaps in the fabric of the Christian church and certainly to folks outside the church, there's a need for something more. There's a need for something more. And as if God shafts into the mind of this prophet, the next procedure is the amazing uh, situation and proposal of this conflict. A conflict of the prophets of Baal and the prophet of God. And the key to the answer to their question is, the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And immediately a dumbstruck people break into life and begin to speak. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. In other words, Elijah, go for it. We're up for this buddy. Amen. That's the street Bible, I think I'm quoting from there. That's not the one I'm reading from. Just using the vernacular. But they're ready for this. They're ready for a demonstration of the power of God. And friends, it's, it's not just we got excited. It's not just as this morning uh, we had a touch from God. I believe God here is speaking of the dunamis, the miracle power of God. And oh, don't we stand in our time, dear friends, in desperate need of a blessed move of God in miracle power. We're not looking for signs and wonders. We're not looking for some kind of event to glorify ourselves 
ourselves, but we're looking for God to confirm the word with signs and wonders following. When they prayed in the book of Acts, the fourth chapter, the building shook, but in the back end of that prayer, they said, Lord, would you confirm the sign with signs and wonders, the glorious preaching of this gospel. Friends, those signs and wonders have been mimicked. It's become a pantomime, an imitation, a charade, but oh, I'm believing God. Would you pour forth thy spirit, Lord, in miracle power, in dunamis, in glorious demonstration of the spirit and of power. Would you really open a blind eye? Would you really heal a deaf person? Would you make the lame to walk? Would there be a demonstration of what God says in this book can happen when the Holy Ghost and fire fall again? I believe there's a folks out there inquiring, but they need something more. It's almost they can't make a straight choice. They need something more. Want to turn over just to verse number 29 here? Referring to the prophets of Baal, it says, And it came to pass, when midday was past, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that there was no voice, nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. You realize, friends, as I'm preaching, I'm preaching, in fact, in a situation where these things do not necessarily apply. It's just to make us aware of the bigger picture, as it were. But I want to say tonight, I fully believe it's certainly true in England. That altar needs repairing. That altar is broken down. And when I say altar, I'm not referring to something made of stones. I'm referring to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have an altar, don't we, friends? We have an altar tonight. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and the wonderful sacrifice of the Lamb of God upon that altar. But I tell you, friends, certainly in England, I can't speak for over here so much, but certainly in England, the preaching of the cross has broken down. The cross becomes an emblem. It becomes a ticket to heaven. It becomes an easy street. It becomes an ornament. But oh, may the church and may preachers come back and Christians come back to the glorious preaching of the cross of Christ in all its fullness, friends. That cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, to the Greeks who want wisdom, to the Jews who look for a sign, but unto us who are saved. It is the power of God unto salvation in Jesus Christ. Oh, may the preaching of the cross come back in all its strength and fullness. That altar needs repairing friends we need it repaired in England my God there's not much preaching of the cross of Christ most of the time the cross is preached as just to say well we're saved we know we're saved thank God we're saved and we are saved but I tell you friends there's a preaching of the cross which needs to come back because the cross is not just an emblem of what Jesus did for every last sinner on this earth that cross is given to us as Christians to pick that cross up and follow Jesus Jesus said if any man 
man will come after me. Let him deny himself, pick up that cross daily and follow me. I'm called to be a cross bearer. And the purpose of that cross, dear friends, is not to make me happy so much. It does make me happy in the end. But the first purpose of that cross is to kill the carnal man such that the life of Jesus Christ can break forth in freshness and in fragrance and in glory and in power, friends. We need a preaching which kills the carnal man. That's not very pleasant. That's not very popular. That's why not many doors are open. Hallelujah. But thank God that is the purpose of the cross as we repair the altar of God. Hallelujah. Praise his lovely name. How many enjoy the preaching of the cross that kills the carnal man? Hallelujah. But you see, friends, God has no desire to harm us, does he? No desire to hurt us. No desire to just torture us with some kind of legalism of the cross. But God wants us to know the blessed death of the carnal man that brings a release of the life of Jesus Christ in our hearts. How many can say amen? What the world out there, what Ballinahinch needs, what Belfast needs, what this province needs, what England needs, what we all need is a glorious flowing. We sang it tonight. There is a river. Hallelujah. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Hallelujah. But the river of God is in us, friends, isn't it? If any man thirst, let him come unto me. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Brother, sister, just look at your belly for a moment and say, there's a river of life flowing out of me. And the purpose of that river is to touch the dead and dying world around us. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord forever. You can get excited. You can get excited. I said to a sister leaving this morning, you can participate in the message. Hallelujah. You're allowed to get excited. Uh, hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. The repairing of the altar. Look at verse 33. Says of Elijah, he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood. I want to tell you, friends, order's a wonderful thing. I could preach on that. I'm not preaching on it tonight. But order is a wonderful thing. Do you know if a church of people are in God's order, there's such peace, there's such unity. There's such a balm that spreads through the people. It's wonderful when there's order. But the point I want to make here tonight is this. He said he cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood. Now there's a verse in Romans chapter 12, the first verse, which tells me, when I was born again and saved by the grace of God, I am to present this body as a living sacrifice. Is that right? Holy, acceptable unto God, which is my reasonable service. I'm to present this body as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. See, when Elijah put that bullock on the wood, you couldn't have a tail hanging over here. You couldn't have a hoof hanging off the end there. You couldn't have a nose hanging off there or an ear sticking out there, friends. The point of this is the bullock had to be cut to the size of the altar. 
The bullock had to be cut. The sacrifice had to be cut to the size of the altar. I think a fellow pastor and brother Tim said this morning, the cross of Christ is not just a Roman piece of construction of wood. The cross of Christ is something absolute in the mind of God. The Lamb of God was slain from the foundation of the world and in that vision of God to see what was coming down the line before Adam ever set foot, a sacrifice had been made in the mind of God. And the cross of Jesus Christ, just as detailed and accurate and precise as the tabernacle or temple, had perfect dimensions in the mind of God. And God calls us to be cut as living sacrifices to the glorious dimensions of the altar. Hallelujah. I have to ask the question, where is the preaching that cuts? People don't like the preaching that cuts. It's under our shells, doesn't it? Gets into our lives, into our minds, into our hearts. Disturbs us. But I say, Lord, bring back the preaching that cuts. Because that sacrifice has to be cut to the size of the altar. Do you know what the modern church has done, my dear friends, in many ways? Oh, keep the people in, keep the money flowing, keep the prestige and all the reputation and success. Instead of cutting the sacrifice to the size of the altar. What we do these days very often is we enlarge the dimensions of the altar to suit the sacrifice. Leave the sacrifice uncut. Don't talk about sin. Don't touch those things. Don't disturb lives. Don't do anything like that. They'll leave. So let the sacrifice remain uncut and let's preach a cross that just is enlarged sufficiently to suit the sacrifice. That's how you end with homosexuals in the pulpit. That's how you end up with folks living together in sin, claiming to be born again and taking communion. That's how you end up with all the rubbish that flows through the ranks of the professing church. But my dear friends, if the preaching comes back, which cuts that sacrifice, deals with our hearts, deals with our habits, deals with what we are, deals with what stems and staunches the flow of the life of God, that sacrifice has to be cut to the dimensions of the perfect altar of God. Hallelujah. I said in a message a while ago, you know, and I enjoy the types and shadows. I do. I preach on them sometimes. But I said we might have to lay aside some of the types and shadows and maybe preach on 1 Corinthians 13 for six months. Hmm? Love suffereth long and is kind. You could spend a long time in that list, couldn't you? I may have told you this before, but I'm getting old. I'm allowed to say these things again. <laughs> Give you an example. My wife and I were traveling to a city called Bristol to preach open air with some friends there. And uh, there's a car park there, in a multi-story car park, very clever. And th th there's two entrances, and... The traffic coming from opposite directions, it's so cleverly constructed, they automatically interleave as they go in. We went in one entrance, and coming in the other entrance is a car full of young men. I don't know how they did it to this day, but somehow, almost taking our bumper off, 
They managed to jump the queue and get ahead of us. Then they wound the windows down, and out came the lolling, jeering faces. I was a younger man then, and I used to be a schoolteacher. And every fiber of this man wanted to climb out of the car, go over to their car, and give them a verbal roasting that would make them two millimeters high. I was bursting. I was raging inside. And I was just about to throw the catch on the door when the Holy Ghost said, wait a minute, son. In 20 minutes' time, you'll be standing outside McDonald's preaching the gospel, and guess who'll come by? (laughs) And God took me down that list, dear friends. Love suffereth long and is kind. I quoted this morning. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not besave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. I said, Lord, is that still in me? Yes. See, God has to take the lid off, doesn't he? How many has had that experience? God has to take the lid off. And he has to say to a son, that's still in you. That's still part of your carnal man that needs to come up Calvary's hill and be crucified with Christ. Dear friends, I've learned that God doesn't want to condemn us. He's not trying to make us feel small. He's just saying, son, that's still there and that still needs to be dealt with because somewhere down the line that could happen again. And if you are provoked, then disaster. That's the preaching that cuts. That's the preaching that cuts. Sometimes by experience, sometimes by preaching, sometimes by expanding. But God has to speak to our hearts and say, son, daughter, that's still in your heart. And the only answer is Calvary. The only answer is a fresh trip up Calvary's hill to be cut to size of the glorious altar of Christ, the cross, the cross, the blessed cross of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise this lovely name. Have a glance at verse 36. You're a wonderful congregation. Very attentive. You even laugh at my jokes. My wife doesn't much anymore, but it's married life, it's wonderful, isn't it? Just felt to lighten it there for a moment. It says, and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the, of the sorry, <clears throat> it came to pass at the time of the offering of, of the evening sacrifice that, <clears throat> excuse me, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. He says in verse 37, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. The point I want to just get here, friends, very quickly is this. You notice in verse 29, if you compare, the prophets of Baal prophesied until noon, from noon rather, until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, about a three-hour period, 
At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah came forward, the prophet of God came forward and began to intercede for the people. Question, what was happening in those three hours? On the one hand, you have the climax of false prophets and false uh, whatever, false worship, false altars, uh, false gospel, everything. Friends, in the time we're living in, there's a welter of voices, there's a, a clamor, a great swelling words, and all that's being pumped out there on the Christian so-called media. It's increasing, it's enlarging, it gets louder and louder, crescendo, crescendo. It's a frenzy of false religion going on all around us on the airwaves. But I can get down about that. I can get concerned about that. Uh, I meet people tell me, did you hear the latest? What happened to so-and-so? What happens over there? What? And I say, well, Lord, it's good to know some of that stuff. But I'll tell you, friends, I can't get too involved in all of that. It's happening. It's coming to a climax. It's coming to the end of its frenzy. But what's happening on this Mount Carmel, while the climax of falsehood is coming to that final consummation and climax, what's happening somewhere in the background, Elijah is repairing the altar and cutting the bullock to side. Dear friends, I believe that's our work. That's our work to submit to the Lord, to be cut to size, to let the altar of God be repaired in our lives and in our hearts. Friends, if you're in two minds tonight as to whether to serve God or not, make a choice tonight to serve him. Time is short and time is fleeting. Hallelujah. There's no time to dilly-dally. There's no time. My brother uh, Tim mentioned it the other day. I didn't know whether you had that dance over there, but you know you do the hokey-cokey. Have you ever done the hokey-cokey? <laughs> and I remember the old London parties. All my relatives lived in London. I lived in London. And the old family parties when I was a teenager, and we did all those old songs. I wasn't saved there. I was about as unsaved as the man in the moon. But we did the hokey-cokey. You put your left hand in, left hand out, and right hand, and so forth. And then you put your whole self in and your whole self out, and you shake it. Like, done the hokey-cokey? Well, there's too much Christian hokey-cokey. There's too much spiritual hokey-cokey. Someone full on one moment, then they're out of it. Someone here, there, everywhere. Amen. All for consistency in the Christian walk. All for stability and reliability and consistency in the Christian walk. I'll tell you how the Christian hokey-cokey goes, friends. You put your whole self in and you stay there. You might shake it all about if you get a touch of the Holy Ghost, but you stay there. Amen? Amen. This is not in-out stuff, is it? Amen. There's a shaking which comes from God. I've seen some which didn't come from God, but that's up to you before the Lord. But I want to tell you, the whole spiritual cokey-cokey of a real Christian is to put your whole self in and stay in. 
Hallelujah. Heard a friend preacher of mine. He's my mentor in Florida, Pastor Don Schutz. <laughs> this is the way he put it. And I would recommend that to anybody in this building. If you're in any two minds about anything, he said, in the days we're living in, if you find a people that love God, where the truth is being preached, where the power of God's presence is, the Spirit of God is moving, there's a glory in the house from time to time. Prayer is top of the list in seeking God for a move of God. He said, when you find that place, this is how he put it. He said, kiss the carpet, fight the devil, and stay there till Jesus comes. <laughs> I didn't say that. He did. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. I just want to catch, can, can you bear one more point? I want to catch one more point with you. When Elijah prays, friends, he prays in verse 37, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Now, please understand me, friends. There's, there's things worth praying for. There's, there's lots of things out there, missions. Yes, 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 yes. But, you know, sometimes folks can be so concerned with praying that they're praying a thousand miles over here and for this thing over here, we, we, we have, a, you know, folks, are, well, why not pray for Great Britain? Great Britain's a big place, friends. You know, for me to try and pray for Great Britain, I'm not quite sure how to grasp that. Not saying don't do it, but I can't find much kind of mileage in that. Find that hard to pray for the whole land. But the point I want to make here is this, and I know you have a vision. You have a prayer meeting tomorrow. That's brilliant. We'll be there by the grace of God. But Elijah says... Lord, would you deal? Would you show? Would you reveal? Would you fall? Would you demonstrate this people right here? Right, that friends, our first and foremost prayer is to pray right where we live. Right where we live, Ballina Hinch and the surrounding landscape, friends. Right where we live in England, Burnham on Sea. That's the first port of call in prayer. God, would you show this people, this people. Yeah, we pray for missions, pray for a lot of things out there. But oh God, first and foremost, would you demonstrate your power right where we live? Would you fall by the Holy Ghost in this town, on this people, on our neighbors, in our communities? Would you demonstrate the reality of God right where we live? Hallelujah. Glory to God in the highest. Hope in the overlap, friends. Repair the altar. Prepare yourself to be cut to size to the altar. Meanwhile, keep praying for the area and the towns and the people that we live amongst. How God wants to bless this church, dear friends. I'm encouraged here tonight. It's a short message. But I tell you, friends, God wants to encourage our hearts. Do you believe God's the same yesterday, today, and forever? I do. Hallelujah. You'll notice God doesn't say yesterday, today, and tomorrow. There's no tomorrow, friends. The next thing's forever. I've just got today. If tomorrow comes, it becomes today again. I have no tomorrow. I must serve him today. I say again, I just feel in my spirit. Maybe somebody in this house, halting between two opinions, dipping from one foot to the other, in two minds, not sure, life ahead, not quite sure. Let me tell you, my dear friend, God loves you with an everlasting love, but he wants you to serve him with all your heart. Don't get involved in the spiritual hokey-cokey. Make a decision tonight. I'm going to be full on and full in and full 
for the Lord. I'm going for Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I want to see him glorified. I want to see him glorified. I want my little life, my little two pennyworth that I can give him to bring glory to the God of heaven, friends. Hallelujah. That's what God wants. You can get excited. You can get on fire for God. Yes, you can. And it's worth it all, friends, because there's a heavenly home beyond this grave. I'm, I'm getting on in years. You've done your arithmetic, 38 saved and 32 years saved. 38 years lost, rather, and 32. I'm just about catching up on myself. But I want to make every single day count for Jesus. I want to make every single meeting count for Jesus. I want to preach like I'm preaching for the last time. And, and I say on the street sometimes, if this man fell to the ground dead while I'm preaching, some of you say, I wish you would. But I'll tell you, if I drop on the spot here, I know where I'm going. I know who my Lord is. I know where I'll wake up. Friends, if you don't know that, you need to know that. You need to be born again on fire for God, filled with the Holy Ghost. Just repent of sin. Get right with God. Seek Him till you find Him. And glory to God. He'll take you all the way to glory. Hallelujah. Praise His lovely name. I better stop there. Father, would you touch the people here tonight, Father? Lord, if there's someone here not saved, if there's someone daring to walk through this life without Jesus Christ as a living reality in their heart, in your great love and conviction, Lord, would you draw them to thyself? If there's someone here playing the spiritual hokey-cokey, giving the appearance of full-on, but secretly they're not full-on. They're in, they're out, they're here, they're there. Lord, would you convince them tonight, Lord, there's only one place to be. It's fully in thyself and fully serving in thy work and fully giving of themselves in fullness to thee. Lord, would you look at the needs in this house tonight? Would you look at the needs in hearts and lives, perhaps relationships? Would you look here tonight, Father, and would you do a work eternal by your Spirit and move upon the people in this time? We ask a rich blessing of God in Jesus' lovely name. Amen.